Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. Uh, as Andrew mentioned earlier, this is a, a special weekend for us because 10 years ago yesterday, uh, we got to start here at Calvary, and it has been a huge blessing from the Lord to know all you and to serve all of you, and an honor and a privilege, really. Uh, we love you all. But uh, one thing what we've tried to do over the years is show that we are not the only leaders in the church. There are others that God is raising up all the time to lead his people, to speak to his people, to serve his people. And that has been the case here at Calvary for many years now. And so we're thankful for that. Um, when we started, though, uh, so we've always tried to get um, other people up here to, to share the pulpit with me, um, people like Pastor Kenny, Pastor Bob, our elders, and guests as well, uh, just to show you know, God's voice is not limited to, to one person. It comes out of his word. That's where the power is, and so we're thankful for that. But what I was going to say is uh, when we started here on August 1st, 2010, uh, one of our elders at that time, who had actually been serving in an interim ministry role here at the church, uh, was able to speak that first Sunday. And as it happens, this was not planned this way at all, he's speaking again today. So it's pretty cool. Uh, so we wanna, we're uh, honored to have Tom Lynn, and you all know Tom well if you've been here at the church, and he's going to come and share God's word for us. So thanks, Tom. <laughs> I'm humbled. All of us know what it's like to try and stay awake at night when you've had a full day and are totally exhausted. You know what that's like. You know what it's like to try and keep your eyes open when all of you, all the I want you to do is lay down and go to sleep. And as a security guard, two o'clock in the afternoon is my dead time. That's when my head starts to droop and I'm falling asleep. You may be able to resist it for a while, and, and I, I try to resist it, get up and walk around, try to resist this whole feeling like you're going to fall asleep, but eventually nature takes over and um, I'm doing the old head bobble thing happening. And I'm, I'm likely the worst person in the world to stay awake at night because by 10 o'clock I'm done. I'm ready for bed and I got to go to sleep. And I have a lot of respect for you guys, you nurses and all the people that do uh, shift work because you can go from days to nights and still manage to fun function effectively. Like I've done nights and by about two or three in the morning, again, I'm just, I'm just done. So I just don't do nights at all. You know, there's a cosmic war taking place between God and the devil, and the church is in the middle of it, struggling to stay awake. Um, we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians 5, where Paul talks about the day of the Lord. And it is the day when the spiritual war is over and God judges and condemns the evil, unbelieving world. In view of the terrible day of the Lord, believers need to be spiritually awake to be prepared for Jesus' coming. We, under, we need to understand that the enemy of our souls is seeking to undo us at every turn. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9 says, Be sober, mind it, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. The day of the Lord is coming and it will catch the unbelieving world suddenly and unexpectedly. Paul describes it as like a thief in the night. And there's a bunch of other passages where we see this idea of thief 
in uh, various other places in the scripture. 2 Peter 3.10 says, but, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works uh, that are done on it will be exposed. And then Matthew 24, a really good chapter of the, on the day of the Lord when uh, the Lord is going to come, and he reveals a lot of information there in Matthew 24. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, also, must be re you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then finally, Revelation 16, 15 says, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Jesus is coming like a thief is a good analogy because thieves come unannounced. Jesus will come unannounced. Thieves come under the cover of darkness to conceal their crime. Jesus is coming and will be concealed to the darkened, unbelieving mind. Thieves come at night when their victims are sleeping. And Jesus will come when the world is completely at ease, not believing that God's judgment is near. So if you'd want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 5, and I don't know if there's a pew Bible there, but it's in around uh, the Timothy books near the, the end. Now, the day of the Lord will not surprise believers. And uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 2 says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. This idea of being fully aware. To understand the reason Paul makes this statement is to understand the context of the issue in which he was addressing. And I'm just going to share with you some of the historical aspects of the, of the Thessalonian church here. That the Thessalonians were very well versed in Paul's teachings. They understood fully about the day of the Lord. They had developed a full conviction also that the day of the Lord was coming and those who were caught by it, would be caught by it, would not escape. And uh, we get that in verse 3 as well. However, they were uninformed about what happens to Christians, and particularly what happens to Christians who have died or passed away. They were concerned that the Christians who had died before seeing Jesus' second coming were in jeopardy of losing their salvation. Paul needed to write this letter to reassure them that for all Christians, whether they have died or are alive on the day of the Lord, that their salvation is eternally secured through the death of Jesus Christ. Verses, and if, you, if you're there in 1 Thessalonians 5, look down at verses 9 and 10. And it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, um, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we are awake, and that word awake means to be alive physically, biologically alive, or asleep, and that means that's he's referring to death, like someone who's physically death, that we might live with him. And that word live is spiritual, spiritual life, um, 
is that word there. The Thessalonians hadn't the luxury of having the New Testament te taught to them and as, or to teach us that salvation in Jesus is not something we can lose. But when you're in Christ, your life is completely secured in Christ, in God, by God. John 10, 27, 29, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. John 5, 24, so many verses and I just, I had to reduce the amount because there's so many verses in the Bible that speak about eternal security. Truly, truly, 524, John 524, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then, of course, Romans 8, we've heard this often, uh, 35 to 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want to encourage you that the day of the Lord is coming and that you don't have to worry whether you are alive or dead when that day comes, that you, your life is secured in Jesus. Number two, the day of the Lord will catch the unbelieving world unprepared. And verse three says, while people are saying there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. In contrast to the Christian who has a full awareness and complete conviction that the day of the Lord is coming, is the total ignorance and unexpected attitude of the unbelieving world. You know, recently we've seen uh, quite a few new babies being born. And statistics say that many of the mothers of first-time births who haven't experienced labor, uh, have, it's quite often they give birth at nighttime while they're sleeping. Uh, science has discovered that a good percentage of first-time births will take place during the night when the mother is completely at rest and comfortable. What they are finding is that labor is induced when there are higher than normal levels of melatonin in the body, which the body produces to help us to fall asleep. So when you're going to sleep at night, melatonin goes up, and, it, and it's the kind of sleeping, uh, I don't know if it's a hormone, and it helps you to sleep. And um, here's just a little side thing on melatonin that blue light, like from your phone, actually inhibits melatonin in your body. So you shouldn't be looking at your phone right before you go to sleep. But here's another interesting fact that uh, a campfire, the, the light that comes off a campfire is a different kind of light. It's a warm light 
and it actually enhances melatonin. So if you're camping, you know how you're sitting around the fire and you know, you're almost like uh, watching the fire go and it's like making you tired because it actually helps in the production of melatonin. Just a little quote from uh, an article I looked up because I had to do a little bit of research on this. Uh, there's an article, is it true that most women go into labor at night? The majority of first time mothers do indeed start laboring in the late evening which it may, be well, it may well be that it is caused by a surge of melatonin, often leading to a birth in the early morning. Melatonin interacts with oxytocin to promote contractions. Melatonin is a hormone that encourages sleep, which reaches its peak during dark hours. This analogy really describes the comfortable ease of the unbelieving world when God comes to judge it on the day of the Lord. Jesus said that on the day he comes, it will be like in the days of Noah, when before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. While people are saying peace and security, sudden destruction will come. The day of the Lord will come and bring sudden destruction. And this refers to both physical and spiritual death on those who are caught by it. Skipping, again, we, were, we recited there in verses 9 and 10, continues to, or it's the one that really enhances this whole thing. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The unbelieving world will not see that they're in danger from God's judgment because they scoff at the idea. And 2 Peter 3, 3 to 4 speaks about the attitude of the unbelieving world. It's that they, they don't believe and they, in fact, scoff at the idea that, that God is going to come and bring uh, his judgment. 2 Peter 3, 3, 4 says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with their scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. So there's this attitude which is, uh, that it's not just simply that they don't know, they just simply don't believe and um, actually ridicule the idea that we speak of that the day of the Lord is going to come and it's going to sweep the world away. We learn that just before God's judgment came upon Israel, and this is a good Old Testament aspect, is that false prophets were preaching the same message of peace and security. And then suddenly it came about that they were all taken away. And if you can read those texts in the Old Testament and what took place with the nation of Israel, the false prophets were saying uh, that everything's okay. You don't have to worry about anything. But then prophets like Jeremiah were saying, no, it's not okay. Judgment is coming. This nation's going to be carried away. And that's exactly what happened. The irony of, his, of this is that the unbelievers feel safe and secure when they're really not. And believers tend to worry about their salvation when they really shouldn't. And that's kind of an irony of between this, that there's a false sense of security and a false sense of unsecurity that kind of takes place within us. We need to kind of trade places with the unbelieving world.
Number three, the day of the Lord should encourage Christians to live out their faith with confidence. As you've read the Bible, you've, you've discovered that Jesus, Paul, and many other writers of the New and Old Testaments have employed mutually exclusive metaphors to describe the difference between Christians and the unbelieving world. And we see it here in verses 4 and 7. Uh, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Dark versus light. Mutually exclusive metaphors. Dark versus light, day versus night, wakefulness versus sleepiness, and sobriety versus drunkenness. Notice that there's no gray zone between these things. And God is very clear. Either you are saved or you're not saved. It's, it's really that, con that contrast. You may be in the middle kind of trying to find your way to Christianity, but, uh, but at the, if you are still in that state when the day of the Lord comes, you'll be lost. You need to come to Christ and fully be on his side because it's, it's either one or the other. And I can recall when I became a Christian or when I was first discovering about Christianity back in 1985, long before most of you were ever born, um, that my sister-in-law, she, 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 she called me to the mat and she said, you cannot sit on the fence. Either, either you, you felt I felt was a good person and that I was gonna, I was gonna make it to heaven. And he said, she said, you cannot sit on the fence. Either you serve God or you serve the devil. There's no in between. There's no sitting on the fence. And this is really what the Bible promotes: is this idea of mutually exclusive and uh, um, metaphors of between the the unbelieving world and the believer. Christians are reminded that they are children of light and children of the day compared to the world that lives in spiritual darkness. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those are two, darkness and light. I mean, they're two completely separate worlds that cannot be intermingled. Um, you're either of the night or of the day or of the darkness or of the light. It is, a night, it is at nighttime is when you get drunk or would normally get drunk and where sleepiness impairs your judgment. Daytime, on the other hand, is when we're most alert. It's when our thinking is clear and rational and it's usually when we make the best decisions is during the day because our, our mind is clear. The unbelieving world values the night and lives in the shadow of spiritual darkness. Christians, however, are of the day. That is, they are God's light to the world. Ephesians 5, 6 to 11 says, um, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. That, 
that's quite a challenge. I don't like that last phrase about exposing the darkness because that means I have to do something in, in terms of fighting against it. Matthew 5, 13 and 16 says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And just, just a little uh, comment on this verse. You may, you may already have understood this, that a city set on a hill is like we are the light to the world, and the, and the hill is the world, and we are set up, and we're not, and you think of it, we're called upon to, to shine the light of God to the world. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And that house is representative of the world. We're called, you think of it, you don't buy lamps to cover them up. You buy lamps so you can shed light on your favorite uh, reading chair or by your bed. It's, it has a purpose, and that's what we are. We're God's purpose to bring the light of the gospel to the world. The Christian has the calling to be free from the intoxicating effects of sin. And that word of drunkenness has to do with the idea of being coming drunk with sin. We are to live in the day as God's lights to the world. We are to be clear-minded and rational about living, in a godly, in, living godly in preparation for the day of the Lord. And we're to stay alert and watch over our hearts and souls. And I love Proverbs 4.24. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it the springs, comes the springs of life. And then verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians, and I'll just continue on. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet of the hope of salvation. A breastplate covers the chest. It refers to what protects our hearts. Both faith and love are both gifts from God as that which shields our hearts from evil. So faith and love. And having put on the helmet of the hope of salvation, the helmet is what protects our head. And the hope of salvation, which is also a gift from God, protects our minds and souls. Beautiful metaphors that we find in Scripture. The breastplate covering the chest to protect the heart, and the helmet to protect the head, to protect the mind. And I think of that verse that uh, in Romans that says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is. So be transformed so that your mind is healthy. Verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath. What is the thing that God is so angry about? And this is very important. I've been giving some hints all through the sermon, is that the one thing that is most offensive to God is unbelief. Think of it. It's the one thing, primary, you think murder, idolatry, and all that, those are pretty bad things. But the big thing, all of those things stem from the very 
uh, root of unbelief. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And that's another way of saying that they just don't believe. In fact, they're, they're, they're fighting against what they know is true. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then Hebrews 4, 1 to 2, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have fall, failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And then my verse that I always use with regards to the coming of the Lord Jesus really speaks to this. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6-9 says, Indeed, God considers it just, just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, now get this picture, the Lord Jesus coming with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on who? Murderers, idolaters, on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Something as simple as to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is all you need to avoid the terrible horror of the day of the Lord. Years of sinning and offending God can be reversed simply by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. Simple. And the day of the Lord is, is God's wrath. And in studying on the idea of God's wrath, it's this controlled burn that God has. It's an anger that he has that is, has been started since the very sin, the very evil entered the world and it hasn't been unleashed. Well, it was unleashed once on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in our, in our verse it says, but you have come to obtain, obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live spiritual life with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And um, I just want to quote for you 1 John 4.10, which um, is another whole world of theology that you need to understand with regards to the cross is the, uh, I'm going to use a theological word, please forgive me, it's propitiation. And 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for his for, for our sins. And just to give you a, an idea of what that means is that when Jesus was on that cross, God's wrath was poured out on him. And we get this idea of imputed righteousness so that he took upon himself all of our sins 
and, and paid those penalties on the cross and bestowed upon us his righteousness. Think of the implications of that. That you are righteous because Jesus has given his righteousness to you. And he, all of the wrath of God that is going to be poured out even on the day of the Lord, that same kind of wrath was poured out upon Jesus. And just when you think of what took place, and you should read these things, what happened at the day when Jesus died on that cross? There was a great earthquake, and the, and the veil in the temple was torn in half. It was a, a terrible thing that took place. And that's just a, a precursor of what will take place on the day of the Lord. It's not, God's wrath is not a simple irritation. It is, he is very, very angry and he's waiting for that day in which all of his anger over the course of history will be unleashed on that day. It's not a time that you'd want to be there. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. The idea here is that Christians need to encourage and comfort one another in their salvation. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, as we have been quarantined, I have been thinking about this verse quite a bit. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together. You know, quarantining and social distancing has really separated us, which has not been a good thing. But neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So our encouragement and to meet together and to love one another, encourage each other in the faith has to happen now more than ever because the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is drawing near. Are you awake and ready? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that the message of your word is so powerful. And that the day of the Lord is coming. And we need to be prepared for that. Uh, we need to put on white garments of righteousness so that when Jesus comes and that bridegroom comes, that we will be like those virgins in Matthew 24 that have their lamps filled and prepared and ready so that uh, we can go in with the bridegroom and enjoy heaven with him forever. And so, God, I would pray that if anyone here does not know the Lord Jesus Christ and whose life is threatened by this day that is coming and will be very terrible, that they will right that wrong and come to faith, come to Jesus by faith. And so, please speak to us through this day and through this message, and that your Holy Spirit may be well known to each of us, God. So come and speak to us, and thank you for this time and our, and our time together under your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>